teachers want to do a good job. I think they want to do a great job despite all the things. And once they are enter into partnership and they find their current reality and they use questions pattern after you, Jim, use questions pattern after you, it starts, they're not being self-critical, but they're, they're saying, okay, how do we get better? How do we get better? Um, and we're not, and then the introduces that idea that you, you just do so marvelously, Jim, the power of yet. We're not there, but we're not there yet. They're not there yet. I'm Jim Knight, co-founder of the Instructional Coaching Group, and you're listening to Coaching Conversations, where I talk with coaching experts from around the world so that all of us can learn better ways to make an unmistakably positive impact on the people around us. The Teaching Learning Coaching Conference is the world's leading conference for instructional coaching and instructional practice. Hosted by Jim Knight and the Instructional Coaching Group, this is the biggest event for instructional coaches and the teams they work with. Register now to attend in person in Orlando, Florida, or virtually from your home or office. To learn more, visit tlc-conference.com. I have to say, I consider you like one of the most pop positive people in education. Maybe the most positive person I know in education. So I consider it a huge uh, opportunity to talk with you and sort of learn from you today. And I just want to walk through our questions. I know you're becoming more and more influential in the realm of coaching, particularly video coaching. So I'd love to um, learn from you today and have this conversation. If nothing else, I know I'm going to walk away feeling positive and energized by your energy. So it's great to see you, Jim. Uh, thanks so much. My, the honor is really mine, Jim. So the first question I like uh, to ask is, you know, how, how did you get into this business of coaching in the first place? Well, Jim, thank you for uh, having me here. What an honor it is uh, uh, to be with you. Uh, do you remember they had 45 RPM records, Jim? And and, and they had an A side and a B side. It's before my time, Jim. I didn't look. Uh, well, I'm just saying rec 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 records. I don't know what that is. Yes, I remember 45s. I had a little plastic case, mostly Beatles, stuff like that. I had... Uh, well, you know, the A side was the big side, and you rarely flip to the B side. And I love James Brown. I love James Brown. And and the A side of one of his 45 RPM gym was, I feel good. Well, 50 years ago, Jim, 19, September 1972, I started teaching 7th, 8th, and 12th grade social studies. Well, as I continued in my career, Jim, looking at the, the question of what does improvement look like? How am I doing with becoming personal best? How am I doing becoming a better version of myself? I increasingly looked, had to flip that B side of that record with James Brown, and that B side was, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. Uh, Jim, the first six years of my teaching was a high school teacher. The district had a, a policy where they had to put one negative comment in your evaluation. So I got two evaluations a year, six to 12 evaluations. 12 evaluations, each of them said, Jim has a messy desk. <laughs> Jim had, they said a lot of not, then they said a lot of nice things about my teaching. And, uh, and I said, gee, I mean, this is, kind of not okay i gotta get out of here i gotta sign and i gotta leave but just wasn't helping me get better in the pd gym every year every year was the opening faculty meeting of the year the district saying we know what you guys need 
and we're going to give it to you. And it was the outside NPD, and we had no choice and no voice. And and then I be I became a middle school social studies and reading teacher and had much more comp- complex evaluations. But um, it was just sign and, and leave. And but Jim, I became a principal in 1987. I had 87 observations to write. 87 observations to write, Jim. Top, it was marathon. It was a marathon. You know, I needed somebody to throw water in my face about November, you know? Um, and, Jim, I love my staff. They were wonderful. I wrote these affirming research-based evaluations, and then we'd have the evaluation conference. And I made coffee for people. Sometimes I put cinnamon in it to make it feel good. And I was affirming, Jim. I really was. And at the end of 90% of those evaluation conferences, Jim, over 20 years I was a principal, the teacher would say something like this, and they'd be polite. Thank God that's over with. My, I had butterflies. I couldn't sleep last night. Um, and then the, the Neil Simon comment. Same time next year. Same time next year. And what was the PD? It was outside in. The district would share with the teachers to a year in and year out what was going on. I finally got, and I don't know what you guys were doing in the spring of 1998, but I wrote an article for the State Administrative's Journal, Supervision Instruction, The Long and Winding Road from the Kodak Moment to Collegiality. I said, this ain't working. I'm putting all this effort into this thing hours into and it's a dog and pony show it's 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 compliance it's not commitment Uh, and that was was back then as we started working more and more with this and i had uh, my my last assistant principal dr casey kazorik who is now at hilton who's who's my partner he said there's got to be a better way there's got to be a better way what does improvement look like and, you know, the first book I, I read of yours, Jim, just knocked me out because it just made so much sense. High-impact instruction. I think it was about 2012, 2013, somebody handed me a copy of your book. And, and, and it opened kind of new worlds, new worlds. And we started to say, well, how do you, how do you help people improve? Well, they, you need to identify their current reality. And, and, and how do you do that? Well... You have those five simple truths I remember back, and number one is we don't know what it looks like when we do what we do, and we don't. And so how do we invite, not force, not cajole, not arm wrestle, but how do we invite a teacher to look at their current reality? So that working with Casey Kazorik when he became a, a superintendent and, and uh, started working with volunteers. And they videoed a small piece of their instruction, and I'd come in the morning. I did everything wrong, Jim, because we start early in the morning. But we we developed trust with each other, and and then teachers began to see um, their current reality in uh, with the video. In, in adding on the idea of partnership, power with, not power over, um, really transformation started happening. I mean, and it was. Not every coaching thing, I know this is a later question here, Jim, but there was kind of a flow because people felt valued, uh, that they had voice, they had choice, they had dialogue, and it was really reciprocity, Jim. 
I just, and it was such a challenge from what they were used to year after year after year with a written evaluation in outside, inside PD. So I did, the question of what does improvement look like? What's the road to personal best? How do we strive to become a better version of ourselves? I, I think coaching it. I told Wandy says it. You 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 showcase in the beginning of your book. Uh, coaching done well may be the most effective interven- intervention designed for human performance. So uh, why not? Why not? So that kind of long answer there, but that's kind of how I got it. Starting with that forty-five RPM record, that piece I I don't feel good. <laughs> um, but it sounds like. Uh, I mean, what I know about you, Jim, is you're an incredibly positive, affirming person. I've seen it in action in our little focus groups, our study groups. I, I know, I mean, state principal of the year. I mean, the accomplishments are all about affirmation from you. But it sounds like for you, affirming isn't just being nice. Affirming is also helping people move closer to a personal best. It's not just about being nice and saying, I see the good in you. It's about being a partner and helping them move forward. Would you say that's that's accurate? I I, I believe that way. Dylan Willem, well, I had a chance to work with him, uh, oh, maybe in 2015. Uh, I've got this quote here. Jimmy, he said the, the, the difference between effective and a highly effective teacher is not what they know, uh, but what they do, but what they do. How do you, how does a teacher find out what they do other than video? We can talk at them for a long time. And in, in a partnership kind of atmosphere, when a teacher reflects on their video, um, they're, they're tough on themselves, Jim. I mean, this is not an, we, 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 we invite teachers to be in that confidential, non-evaluative way. And, and, you know, Remember Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali? He was famous for the rope adult, rope adult. I think that's what happens in a lot of evaluation conferences. <laughs> you know, okay, and then how do I get out of this conference? You know, a lot of rope adult. Um, I find once you establish trust with people and it's it's really confidential, it's not a bait of, that there's no rope adult, Jim. Uh, and they're thirsty. They're thirsty to get better. Who? You know, the great Rick Dufour, the late Rick Dufour, talked about nobody came to work wanting to do a quarter-ass job, you know? And, and I, I teachers want to do a good job. I think they want to do a great job, despite all the things. And once they are enter into partnership and they find their current reality, and they use questions pattern after you, Jim, use questions pattern after you, it starts, they're not being self-critical, but they're, they're saying, okay, how do we get better? How do we get better? Um, and we're not, and then it the introduces that idea that you, you just do so marvelously, Jim, the power of yet. We're not there, but we're not there yet. They're not there yet. So what's it look like when you coach a teacher? Kind of, and I, I'm sure it's different with every conversation, but you know, if you were to sort of give me an overview of kind of what it looks like, what would you say it looks like when you coach somebody? Well, I, yeah, I, I'd love to say it by be like Lionel Richie, easy like a uh, Sunday morning. <laughs> I, I'd love to say that. Uh, 
Uh, but here's, here's kind of an overview. We, how do we take the scary out of inviting a person to look at video? I mean, that's one of the first things we had to think about because when we first started this 12, 13 years ago, people said, you want me to do a video? What? No, no, no. So how do you take the scary out of it? And so we look at Harvard's best foot forward research, Jim, and, and their idea is that have the person invite the person to do a selfie, um, do a, a video, and, and and they look at it. They, they don't have to share it with anybody. They don't have to share it with anybody. And um, then, then we and they meet with their their coach. Of course, the coach is talking to them, developing dialogue ahead of time. This is part of a ongoing mechanism. And we we use your questions, Jim. We use your questions. I says uh, the teacher identifies a goal that's important to them and that they believe will really uh, advance learning. And, and and we hold this conference, and I said, "Well, what's your goal? Um, why is it important to you? How do you think reaching it might improve learning?" And then the scale questions, Jim, which are brilliant, brilliant that you that we we stole from you on a scale from one to ten. Where are you right now with the goal? Nobody needs ten minutes to think about that. They're go they're going to give you a, a number. Uh, what might a ten look like? Um, well, this to me, the money question, Jim, this is your question. I stole this from you. This is Jim Knight's question. Everybody out there listening to this podcast, the full disclaimer, this is from Jim Knight. This is the big, big question. Uh, what would the students be doing differently in a 10? Because in the peers goal, Jim, it should be student center. It should be student center. So what would the kids be doing differently? And then what teaching strategies do you have in mind right now that might help you reach your goal? And Jim, these these are these are natural questions. There's no gotchas here. There's no gotchas. And there is a flow. Uh, what is that Hungarian psychologist, the flow there? I can't pronounce the man's name. Chicks <laughs> Mihai, is that it? Well, I say Chicks and Mihai, but it may not be right. Go ahead. Chicks and Mihai. I mean, he did this research, I believe correctly, Jim, with artists, with artists, the giant cold frames, if you will, <laughs> about painters who just get effortless attention, who got lost into it. I'm not saying every coaching conference is like that, Jim, but because you designed this idea of video reflection and we marry it with true partnership then we enter in i think it, it's it's that life-giving conversation that back and forth um and, and 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 teacher after teacher say this is the best pd i've ever had uh why aren't we doing this more jimmy uh when we work with te with groups, Jim, and we the selfie project, we ask them to just do one selfie, just do one. We know everybody's busy, crazy busy. More than fifty percent of the teachers do more than one selfie. I, I just read an email from a, a teacher at Hilton where Casey Gazorik is just doing such a great job trailblazing this idea. And um, brand new, she's in Video One Hundred. These are the people coached by our Video Four Hundred coaches. And she's done five videos in the last two months. Nobody required her to do it, but she sees such value. And she 
every time she does that, she she has more specific ideas of reflection and 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 things to talk with her coach about. Um, and so I just, Jim, nothing's perfect. Nothing's perfect. But I mean, a teacher after teacher, there's there's not the rope dope, Jim. There's not the rope dope. I I taught set, I, I taught college for 15 years. The first seven years with SUNY Brockport in the education administration department teaching work future principles. And I said, don't do this. Don't do this. To get a method of evaluation. Get them in. Get them to smile. Get them to sign. Get them to leave. Don't do that. And and I think that goes on not because we're bad people, but because of the craziness in our day. And that does not help a teacher move towards personal best. And that does not help a teacher become a better version of themselves. That means that does not help a teacher help children um, learn better. Hmm. Um, Got to give credit where credit's due. We uh, developed those questions um, after we were watching our coaching videos. We were coaching and we had a big project with Beaverton, Oregon. And we realized the questioning wasn't working. So um, I talked to uh, Bruce Wellman, uh, who's an expert in cognitive coaching. Then I went to a, a Learning Forward and talked to uh, Joellen Killian, Lucy West, Kathy Toll. They, they all shared questions. And then uh, Steve Barkley, uh, he's the one who got me thinking about scale questions. Then Christian Van Neuerberg and um, John Campbell. Uh, had a lot of great questions. And Susan Scott, I went to her workshop. And so we had this long list of questions. And then what we did is we went out and tried them out and sort of sorted through them and figured out which ones work. So they're they're a part of the of the body of knowledge around coaching. Uh, it's nice to hear my questions, but I, they're really, I wouldn't have those questions. I hadn't sat down with Joelle and, Joelle and, and listened to Susan Scott and uh, talked to Steve Barkley and then learned more from John and Christian. So they're so now it's great to see you're carrying on the tradition. Tell me, uh, what would you say is a challenge or a paradox you often deal with during coaching? I think listening, Jim. Um, you, you, you introduced me to this wonderful book by Kate Murphy. Uh, I mean, it just, Jim, she had me at hello. <laughs> she, she had me at hello. And and she asked this this bottom line question to people. She said, "Who listens to you? Who listens to you?" And at best, she got maybe uh, people saying, "Well, maybe a couple people, maybe a couple people listen to me." And and, and but most at the time, people said, "I don't think anybody's listening to me. I don't think anybody's listening to me." Uh, you you do you did such a wonderful job um, uh, before your new book, Jim, instructional coaching uh, partnership approach. I mean, that's we probably about three hundred copies that it did with uh, with book talks, and of course your 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 new book on on communication skills about and about listening. It, it is it is so powerful. I drew a lot about the idea of improv. You uh, you brought out Kate Murphy's work. And, uh, let me tell you what we invited with our one of our coaching workshops. A guy named Mark D'Amico is a middle school principal in Hilton. 
he was an improv comedian in uh, Chicago and, and met his wife, who was a comedian in Second City. And so I got this great reason. I said, I'll, I'll buy a pizza, Mark. Uh, w- would you join our workshop to talk about uh, the role of an improv comedian with listening? And he, oh, wow, talk about a marvelous job there. But in other words, you got to be open to what lies ahead. You don't have an agenda of, well, this is what's going to happen. You know, John Lennon said, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Uh, so I, the idea of really being a listener, Jim, is something I have in to clear your mind, and to clear your mind. And, you know, uh, I love this uh, Pike's Place uh, fish market, the fish philosophy, and one of the elements of fish philosophy is being present. I, I, I think a, a year ago, you had this marvelous interview with, with Christian Newberger, and, and you talked about the need to, to lo- really look like you're listening, <laughs> to, to really look like you're listening. So, so Jim, I, I guess the assessment for me would be that the people I coach could some third party ask them who listens to you, who really listens to you. And God, I'd hope I'd be on that list now and that, uh, on that. I, there are so many other things, I, I, Jim, but I think to me, that's something I have to keep coming back and back to Michael Bungay Stanier talks about the, Oh, I got a real good idea and I just can't wait to share it with you. And you have to kind of, Worry about that advice trap because boy, that that's seductive, Jim. To come out up, well, I love you, but I got this great idea, and all the while you're talking, I'm thinking about this great idea that I really want to sneak in, and so that's to be that first listener, Jim. To be that first listener, um, I, I I keep there's other things, but I think that's important because questioning and listening are are, are so are so key to I think developing trust. That dialogue, that voice. So um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I like the story. You know, I just talked to Amanda Ripley a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and she wrote this really wonderful book in high conflict. She's like you. She's one of the presenters at uh, TLC, and she talked about looping as a form of listening. And I remember when I read it, I was kind of like, you know, I've read a lot about listening. I don't know that I've got a whole lot to learn here because I. I've kind of written about it and all that. and uh, But it's a really simple thing. She says, when you loop, essentially you paraphrase the person. And then at the end of it, you say, have I got that right? And she says, that's the really critical thing is to check in with the person and say, have I got that right? And she said, first off, knowing you're going to ask that question helps you listen more carefully. But then when you do that, she said, if you do it correctly, um, the other, the response is always the same. And she said, and the response is exactly, <laughs> that's the way it is. And so I've been practicing since I talked to her and it's really, even though I'm like, I don't think I've written about listening in at least four books. You know, I think that simple thing of saying, have I got it right? And then it builds connection and the person feels they've been heard. It's amazing how powerful a simple little thing can make in terms of the way you, the way you listen. I'd like to hear, um, about a success story. What's a success story you've seen during coaching? I think that the light bulb goes on. The light bulb goes on with a teacher. That they they see, they look at 
their current reality with a video and sometimes see something for the very first time. It, it might be something like, Shim, the main way I give students attention, which is sadly I'm going to tell you this, Jim, is that I, 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 I catch them when they're naughty. I, I catch them when they're bad. Um, and, and, and they kind of love it. Uh, they kind of are playing a game now. They, they want attention. And, and, and Jim, they, they know how to get it from me. Um, and so my goal, Jim, is how do I turn that tide and gain students' attention by being more affirming, by celebrating, by seeking out their voice? Whoa! 20-year teacher, Jim. 20-year teacher. And I have. Um, our, our work when we started at Hilton in 2017, they brought the best and the brightest teachers. I said, this is not a, a, a program to, to quote, fix people. This is for, for everybody. And I'm proud to say I'll be starting my seventh year next year. We've had a lot of the Hilton Teachers of the Year. I was just reading Katie Caprino's um, uh, reflection from last year, Teacher of the Year at Hilton, and uh, special ed class, and, and she was looking in her video and, and she says, I was pride, I was prideful that I was using wait time. But especially with kids with communication assistive devices. But she said, Jim, I was I was waiting two seconds, three seconds, four seconds. And she says, so I decided to kind of trying things out. I'm gonna use six seconds, seven seconds, ten seconds and take in and video that. In in for in for her to see um, the power of adjusting her instruction, partnering with the coach, will, would increase the student success. And, and along with the seeing student success, Jim, along with seeing student success, is a, a teacher really feeling valued or appreciated? Oh, uh, that they, this idea of collective teacher efficacy, that working with a coach, reflecting with video, working with colleagues, that, that I think it's Hattie's number one piece, uh, collective teacher efficacy, that we all are in this together and that we're not there, but we're not there yet. And the idea of power with, not power over, is such a new but wonderful notion. Uh, with folks, and it's teacher after teacher, Jim, that that have just expressed this idea that I feel valued, I feel listened to, and I'll see evidence of students advancing their learning because of because of this journey that we're taking. And it doesn't always that video doesn't always show progress, Jim. You know, there's uh, no, so, so, and that's a wonderful conversation too. Okay, what what the heck happened, you know? Uh, but since it's confidential and non-evaluative, we we don't have the rope to dope. So um, that's a great question, Jim. I I hope I I hope I answered it in some way. No, I, I like it. I have another sort of one that extends from that, which is, what would you say is a lesson that all coaches need to learn that you think all coaches need to learn? 
Well, I have to draw on two icons out there. I don't know if either one of them uh, got the doctorate, but it's Tim McGraw and Ted Lasso. Uh, Tim McGraw, and I real name this, Jim, because and you write about it, the, the balance between ambition and being humble. I think Tim McGraw being humble and kind, not in a cavalier way, not in a cavalier way, but being in a heartfelt way. This idea of stewardship, and again, you brought Peter Block back to me. I saw him at Cornell in 2000, and he did this work on allies, adversaries, and bedfellows. It was an interesting piece. But this idea of benevolence, that, 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 that I am here for you, I am here for you, and I, no other agenda. And, and Ted Lanso, and, and this is coming from you and coming from Michael, Obunga Stanier, be curious, not judgmental. Be, you know, Michael says, stay curious longer. You know, when there are questions, I want those questions. And what's on your mind? You know, before I would say, before I read about Michael and what you did, I, as soon as somebody said, what's on your mind? I said, okay, let's move on to the next question. But, but the money question from Michael is that awe question. And what else? And what else? <laughs> I'm doing a lot of mentoring of school administrators. And um, I start out with a question, well, what's on your plate? <laughs> what's on your plate? And one of them said, Jim, imagine I'm like at the Golden Corral buffet. And my plate's like this. And my plate's like that. And they start talking. And and and, and, and then I say, and, and what else? And, and, and I don't mean to be flipping or cavalier about this, Jim, but I, I think those are core pieces to be humble and kind and to, to be curious, not judgmental. Um, I, I, I kind of hold that as a mirror, mirror on the wall for me. Sorry. So I've got a question that's not on our, our list of questions. So it's something I'm wondering about. How did you come to become you? I mean, you are such a positive person. I, seen you most frequently when we did our focus groups on uh, various communication skills. And you would talk, you probably wouldn't see it, but I would see everybody watching you just light up when you talked about your your grandson and the things that you love about life. And this positive, where did that come from? That positive energy that you bring to everything you do? I mean, it's just, it's like neon uh, lights bright that you're a positive force in the universe. How, how did you come to be that person? Well, Jim, thank you for the question. You were writing eloquently in the book about uh, what what makes you get up in the morning. What what makes you get up in the morning? And Jim, I kind of got like a kind of a different kind of answer. Um, K through twelve, that one teacher, that one teacher ever came to me and patted me on the shoulder and said, "You know, I think you'd be great at doing a musical instrument." Uh, I, I I really believe, Jim, that you should that one. So, so Jim, when I became Fred's well, we moved starting musical music instruments from fifth grade to fourth grade. Now I went to every fourth grade cut. And I said, you know, I'd, I I told him about I was in a rock band. I was in the Morticians in the in the sixties. And I said, I said, guys, you gotta you gotta get in the music. You gotta, you know. And and I just made it my personal mission to just invite kids to the party, invite kids to the party. I'll never forget in 12th grade, Jim, um, 
there was on the board uh, the stuff about Yaknematov accounting. Yaknematov. I didn't have an idea what it was. And I said to the teacher at the time, I said, well, what's that? And they said, well, this class doesn't do that. This class doesn't do that. So I said, well, I guess I just didn't get invited to that party. So I think those are just a couple of things, but I just feel that the more we really can be servant leaders uh, to, to really help kids, give them opportunities. I was a principal in a blue collar town. These, most of these kids didn't get to the theater, Jim. Um, every year we brought them, I paid for it. We, I don't know how I found the money, Jim. We brought them up to Rochester in buses. They went to Jeeva. They saw the Christmas Carol and we took them to a real nice restaurant, you know, for probably 60, 70% of the kids, they had never been to the theater before. And for a lot of those kids, you know what their idea of a nice restaurant was, Jim? McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's. And, and it gave me great joy, and it continues to give me great joy um, to help people, to help people become, to look at their personal best. Harvey McKay wrote this management book. Uh, the book was Beware of the Naked Man Who Offers You His Shirt. And, and here, his, here are his three credos, Jim. And I think, and I know they apply to you as well. Do what you love. Love what you do. And deliver more than your promise. Whether it be carpe diem. Whether it be do not go gentle into that good night. Or Hunter Thompson, no relation to me who wrote a lot of good stuff for the Rolling Stone, his life philosophy was this, Jim. Buy the ticket, take the ride. Uh, so, so yeah, I think it's just why we're here. I think it's why we're here. Last question. Um, what are three practical questions, moves, ideas you'd like to share about coaching? Well, Jim, I got four. I hope you give me like, <laughs> I hope you give me four. Oh, you could do six. Go for it. Two are from Margaret Wheatley's book, which you introduced me to. I, I, this is holy grail. Mm -hmm. This is holy grail stuff, too. I'm going to share two things from Margaret Wheatley's book. One from the, your closer this year, Jim, the closer uh, at TLC, Christian Newberg, and then one from you. So, so here goes. Uh, and it's a great question, things that I want to share. From Margaret Wheatley's turning to one another. We don't set out to save the world. We set out to wonder how other people are doing and to reflect on how our actions affect other people's hearts. And she quotes somebody who I think really influenced you so much and influenced me, Paulo Freire, many times stated that we have a vocation to be fully human. We can't talk about vocation or calling without acknowledging there is something going on beyond our narrow sense of self. It helps remind us there is more than just me, that we are all part of a larger and purposeful space. In, in, in Christian's book, Advanced Coaching Practice, which I agree with you, uh, every coach should have, every coach should have. She, the coach, is a thinking partner alongside the coachee. Every coachee has her own path 
However, the coach knows what it's like to persevere on the path when tired. She knows it is important at certain points to slow down. She has experienced the challenge of selecting the right path where there's a fork in the road. She knows how awe-inspiring it is to come to a spectacular view. She knows when it is better to walk in silence or when it is important to sit down and catch one's And finally, from my friend, uh, you are the GOAT, Jim. You are the GOAT. And, and I say that at 73 orbits around the sun with humility but honesty. From your definitive guide to instructional coaching, and, and this is a mirror, mirror on my wall. <laughs> coaching invites teachers to move closer to a life where what they believe on the inside aligns with what they do on the outside. Well, most important, perhaps coaches partner with teachers so they can have an unmistakably positive impact on children's lives. And when a coach helps a teacher makes one positive change, that change can have an impact on every student that every teacher ever teaches. A vocation to be fully human, Jim. Instructional coaching, it is. And I thank you for it. Yeah, hey, I thank you. And I I love the, the comments uh, uh, from really the undivided life idea. All these ideas extend back, but it's Parker Palmer is the one who taught me, and Parker Palmer learned it from Thomas Merton. So it's just kind of you know, these ideas keep spreading and growing. And I love the way you're spreading and growing the the ideas around video coaching and coaching, but more importantly, just how to be a decent human being because you live it. It's wonderful to be a part of it. Well, I appreciate my, you know, I want to shout another shout out to Dr. Casey Kazorik at Nelton, my colleague, co-author of the book, who was a trailblazer, a real trailblazer in this work and uh, in, inspired with, by you, by you as well, Jim. Um, I, I, I know big thanks from Casey to, to you and all you do for everyone. No, we're looking forward to seeing you at TLC. It's going to be, it's really just going to be awesome. And um, uh, you're going to love, Michael's going to be there and uh, Amanda Ripley. And we had just a whole, it's like, yeah, I always say it's like Woodstock for code. Most people don't get that reference anymore, but you do get the reference on Woodstock. I, I do. I'm thrilled you've got Zaretta Hammond. I'm working in Greece with uh, taking her ideas and culturally responsive teaching and then applying to video coaching. So it, 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 what an honor it's going to be to, to hear her. Oh yeah. She's, she, she's, I consider her a friend. Uh, we've had a lot of interactions and we haven't had one where she didn't teach me something that made me grow a little bit as a human being. So it'll be great for all of us to have that experience. Jim, you're the same way. I learned from you every time. Mostly I learn about how to be a decent person, you inspire me. You give me hope for humanity because of the way you treat people. So I'm very grateful. Thanks for everything. Well, what is my honor? Good fortune to know you, Jim. Thank you so much.